Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Today on Political Rewind, state Democrats plan to leverage the Atlanta presidential debate to expand their voter base in Georgia. A surprise possible candidate for president could shake up the contest. And President Trump comes to town and works to woo black voters. Political Rewind starts now. Glad to have all of you with us for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Let's get right to our panel because we have so much we want to talk about. We start with AJC's lead political writer, uh, Jim Galloway. You read uh, Galloway in the Wednesday and Sunday paper, and he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. Jim, we're going to talk about it maybe, but just we always like to have a preview of your Sunday column, which has been posted online. Just what's the basic theme? Basic theme is that Brian Kemp has thrown down a gauntlet on health care in Georgia, and Kentucky did the same thing for Democrats on Tuesday. Yeah, they did. And we may get a chance, I hope, later in the show to talk about that. I'm really thrilled to also uh, welcome to the show uh, State Senator Nakima Williams, who is also the chair of the Georgia Democratic chairwoman of the Georgia Democratic Party. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Glad to be here. Big day for you today. It's a big day in Georgia. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're lucky to have you here, and we have a lot we want to talk with uh, you about as we uh, get through our conversation. Patricia Murphy is back with us. Patricia, of course, has a lot of experience up on Capitol Hill working for a couple of Georgia senators, uh, among other work on the Hill. But she is now a columnist for uh, Roll Call, a syndicated columnist. You can read her on Roll Call, but also in uh, papers across the country. And Patricia, what I always love, you're writing for Garden and Gun, one of the truly cool magazines. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I consider it my day job and my fun job. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, we are about to be joined by Republican strategist Leo Smith. Uh, ironically, Leo Smith, a Republican, has been caught in traffic caused by President Trump. Apparently, roads are shut all shut down all across uh, North uh, Atlanta. So as soon as Leo gets him here, we'll bring him into the conversation. But, uh, Senator, let me start uh, with you. We haven't had a chance to talk to you since the decision was made that the Democrats would hold their debate in, on November 20th here in yes. Atlanta. How do you imagine the most basic question that you will be able to leverage that to the advantage of Georgia Democrats? So I think, number one, just the significance of having a presidential debate in Georgia. We haven't had a debate here since 1992. And ironically, that's the last time that Georgia went blue for a presidential campaign. Um, The Clinton year. So um, if that's telling and a little foreshadowing for what November 2020 holds, just stay tuned. But we are um, using this as an opportunity to just showcase the Democratic Party of Georgia, showcase our activism on the ground, the issues that we're uplifting on an everyday basis. What we saw in 2018. Um, in November after the Stacey Abrams election did not go away. That energy is still there. People are still turning out. We didn't stop organizing. We didn't take 2019 as an off year. We were investing in municipal races. We we're all in in the Savannah mayoral race, in the Valdosta mayoral race, Albany. Um, we are making sure that we are turning out Democratic voters 
all across the state and not waiting for November 2020. So this debate kind of just signifies what we've been saying, that we're the battleground state and we represent both the future and the present <laughs> of this country. So there was a lot of talk after the announcement was made that Atlanta would be the location. There was a lot of talk about where in Atlanta should the debate take place. And many people were arguing that it ought to be up in the 6th or 7th district uh, to help further uh, the uh, the possibility the 6th and 7th would, would move firmly into the blue column. I know there was a lot of back and forth on this. You ended up deciding you were going to be down in the heart of the Democratic uh, voter base, Tyler Perry's uh, studios. Was there uh, questioning? Are we right that there was some maneuvering over that? So there are a lot of um, conversations around multiple locations. We didn't get the location confirmed um, until much later. Yeah, we should point out it was not the Georgia Democratic that, Party. Yeah, go ahead. Um, but it was the, the location <laughs> was up in the air for some time because there's a lot of logistics that go into this. Um, and so we there are a number of conversations. And I'm thrilled that it's being hosted in Atlanta, um, in my state Senate district. Yeah. And we're going to be on the MARTA line, so it's accessible to people. You can show up, even if you don't have a ticket to the debate. We're going to have, like, all of the campaigns are going to have rallies outside. And you'll be able to feel the energy and be a part of this. And it's closer to the airport for people that are coming in and leaving right away. So it's a prime location. So. I wish that everybody in the suburbs would get some rail and maybe we can have some different conversations as we bring <laughs> you know, more opportunities Jim, to the state. Jim Nakima was laughing about one of her colleagues uh, making well before either the Washington Post or MSNBC wanted to say the location. Stacey Abrams. No, 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 no. Tweeted no. it out. She tweeted it out after we told her. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I, go ahead. She retweeted <laughs> what she said. She, she, we, we, we posted that, I think, maybe about 10 days before the official announcement. Yes. Yeah, and we talked about it here as well. Um, it was later Friday, on a Friday night, I remember, because I was shopping in the clearance section at Ross. And I was like, what's this? <laughs> Patricia. <laughs> scoop is what it is. <laughs> Patricia, um, first of all, does the actual location, once you're saying we're going to commit to being in basically Atlanta, does it matter? Okay, no. Okay. It, it really, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It matters that it's in Georgia. For yeah. Georgia Democrats, that is a huge coup. It really is. And it also signals to the rest of the Democratic Party at large, Georgia is a state like Texas, like Ohio, where these other debates have been held. It's a battleground state. It's an important state. And Georgia has literally not been on that list yeah. legitimately in 20 years. And so I think it's important. Nobody from outside of Georgia knows a, a hill of beans about Sandy Springs versus Tyler <laughs> Perry. They just don't know. Right. I think this also is a chance to showcase Georgia as a film location and to showcase Tyler Perry's investment in the state. So yeah. I think a lot that's of a good story yeah, to yeah, tell. And, 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 I, and I think yeah. the cultural statement is, is yes. very important. Well, one of the first things is after we broke this news here that <laughs> it was going to be in Mr. Perry's studio, uh, uh, there, there was a tweet that came over from the, the Cobb County Republican uh, account and said, oh, Democrats are going Hollywood, uh, which completely misses the boat because Tyler Perry isn't Hollywood. He's the anti-Hollywood. Tyler Perry is the anti-Hollywood. Uh, he built Hollywood. his own studio. He is He's the anti-Hollywood right who is kind of creating this African-American entertainment media complex yeah. just south of uh, south of the of the main part of the city yeah it does strike me patricia that if you were coming in as one of the journalists from washington wherever 
uh, that, uh, and you were going to do a, a, a piece ahead of the uh, uh, debate or any number of pieces, one of them would be about the enormous success of Tyler Perry and things like his 12 sound stages, each one named after an African-American entertainer, something that has not happened at any other studio in the country. We're going to give the Oprah Winfrey sound stage. Okay. Oh, this is important. <laughs> I okay. mean, that's just right. a lot cooler. <laughs> no offense. <laughs> I mean, national reporters will get a huge kick out of it. There is yeah. also a replica of the Oval Office mm -hmm. yeah. at Tyler Perry's studios. I don't know if that's has any plans for the evening. Um, but no, it's a great location. And the relevance really is for the state, not for the municipalities. Um, although I know, of course, you know, the 7th and 6th districts would have appreciated it. Um, there also were a lot of things going on. I'm pretty sure the Jonas Brothers are performing in Gwinnett County that night. And so there was a little bit of a conflict there. <laughs> but no, it's great for the state. And it's, it's. Uh, I don't think y'all made a, a mistake. I didn't and, know it was in your district. Nikima, okay, all right. We got some breaking news. It's going to be on the Oprah's studio, uh, but is uh, do we have any clues as to what the audience capacity is going to be? It is it's, it's still being built, so there wasn't and like, it wasn't set up oh, to host presidential debates, so all of this, the logistics are still being built out, and so we don't even have a, a cap number on capacity yet. So we do want to make sure that people who are listening to the show realize that th this is all done, although you're certainly going to be consulted on these things, this is MSNBC, uh, Washington uh, the Washington Post, mm -hmm. they and the DNC yeah. really are the ones who oversee and are in charge yes, of all this stuff. We're the partners in this, and yeah. we are not yeah. handling all of the logistics. Yeah, I just don't want you to get all the you know the messages from people saying you know you, oh, you, I still you did. Well, but it's okay. <laughs> so let me ask you this: um, you're, the the we've we've just learned this week that um, Amy Klobuchar has made the debate stage now. So is Tulsi Gabbard. And, and the reason I think particularly the Klo Klobuchar inclusion is interesting is she is one of the more moderate candidates in that Democratic field. And, and so along with a Biden and a Buttigieg, they're going to have a more moderate message. When you've got Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders pushing such a progressive message, uh, do, do you worry about how that's received by Georgia voters? Again, it doesn't matter if the debate's here or in Philadelphia, that liberal message is um, having an impact out there, and it's, and it's troubling some Democrats. It doesn't trouble me at all. I am thrilled that a lot of people are like, why do we have so many candidates? Can you, like, tell some of them they can't run? But I'm thrilled that we have so many candidates because this is the opportunity to grow our party and grow our base. There are a number of young people. They don't enter the party based on partisan politics. They enter it because of issues that they care about. And so this is an opportunity for us to talk about issues that are getting people engaged in the party process. So I am thrilled that we have a number of candidates on a wide spectrum we're the big tent party and we welcome people to come and talk about the issues that matter to them to speak to the voters. But Patricia, would you want to, to be a Lucy McBath or any of the other Democratic candidates running and, and have reporters saying, well, the debate's coming. What do you think about Elizabeth Warren's Medicare for all plan, Bernie Sanders' Medicare for all plan? Are you ready to say that you would support that plan? The, I get what uh, the chairwoman is saying, but that liberal message is not playing well in Georgia, I would think. I mean, it's playing well in some parts of Georgia, okay. I would say, um, not in others, and that's what this debate process is for. Um, there is a lot of play, there are a lot of places to run and hide for Democrats among this candidate field because there are so many diverse points of view. They could even highlight 
the number of diverse points of view as a selling point for the party. It's going to be a challenge for the party to incorporate those viewpoints and to make voters feel like they have a home in the party, even if they're not comfortable with all of those pieces of the platform. Leo Smith is being uh, whisked into the set. Go ahead, Jim, and then we'll get to Leo. Uh, no, the, the one thing I would say is that we've had news that changes the course of this of, of this discussion since Atlanta was named as the debate center, and, and, that, and that is Kentucky and Virginia. And in both cases, the preservation of Obamacare was the, 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 the primary issue. And so I think... Uh, so I think that we're, we're seeing a slow turn away from Elizabeth Warren and Medicaid for all to that more centrist position. Well, we'll watch how that unfolds. Uh, Leo Smith, let me invite you to the table. Thank you for being here. President Trump, you're a Republican president. I think it was responsible for your being delayed here. Well, and also it's just good free market principles that allow me to hop on a bird ride, go down the sidewalk, and make it. <laughs> That's what Tom, Tom, Tom Faust just sent me uh, I want the uh, pictures. Uh, an email. Where did you park your car, Leo? How far from the, our studios? Somewhat close to Northside Drive. Did you really and, get your uh, car? I ditched a car. 14th Street is also That's shut commitment. down. Um, and so I said, this isn't going to happen. I can run and do, you know, uh, uh, chance a meniscus or something, or I can hop on a bird. Well, and uh, it was great. Well, <laughs> we admire the, your youthful spirit, Leo. I'll, I'll just save America and make it great again. Well, I'm, I'm glad you... <laughs> let, me, let me turn to the fact that the president is in town and get everybody into the mix on this, but let's start with the fact that you had a news conference first thing this morning, 8.30 this morning, to uh, greet the president with your own message uh, about his visit and about his presidency. What did you say at your news conference? So President Trump coming to Atlanta today to launch his Black Voter Initiative yeah. after all the things that he has done against communities of color in this country, um, I, for one, Atlanta is the city that's too busy to hate. We are the cradle of the civil rights movement. And everything that he's shown us is that that is the opposite of what he stands for. And so to launch this in Atlanta is, I don't understand it. Um, black voters in Georgia voted Democratic 94% mm -hmm. in 2018, and I'm looking to expand that. So he um, is launching this initiative here today. I don't know that he's going to pick up any more voters than he already had, but I wish him well in this failed attempt. Leo, uh, we should point out that you disavowed your your support of the president some time ago, some months ago, and got Especially a lot of Especially his rhetoric, right. Particularly his yeah. rhetoric. Um, so respond to what uh, Nakima says about Trump launching this uh, outreach to black voters here. Well, look, anytime citizens have an opportunity to engage with the president of the United States is a good thing. I mean, we should not hate the man, but we should want a plan. And that's where we have an opportunity here. Both Nakima with her caucus um, have a chance to present a plan to the black community that's uplifting and empowering. Donald Trump says that he's had one. And what we need to understand and uh, Americans are at a place where they don't see Donald Trump as a cancer as much as they see him as the chemotherapy. And black Americans, with the issues that we've faced for all these years, are seeing him, and some, some, some of them are seeing him that way as well, and that's really important. He's finished the work on prison reform, you know, that we started here in Georgia and Texas. He has record low unemployment of black Americans. 
He has an approval rating for black Americans that's up 15 percent. He's increased federal funding for HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. He's created opportunity zone investment right. strategies that are helping put more money into places. All right, that so you've help. got a list and you think though those are issues that that he can run on. I'm going to let you respond like to that. Agenda. And then we should just ignore everything else that he has said. No more that, than we ignore Lyndon B. Johnson having some racist attitudes and Martin Luther King said, we want your plan. But I don't condone attitudes either. Absolutely, and I don't either, and that's why I've disavowed so that we're racist clear on attitudes. This. But I want black Americans to have the focus of an agenda that really uplifts and empowers black America, and we need to demand that from any politician. Patricia, what's your take on, on this uh, black outreach here? Well, you talked about chemotherapy, which can be a cure. It also has a lot of side effects that are very painful. And I would say that this president in the black community has had a lot of painful side effects. Uh, he has passed very important reforms to criminal justice reform, uh, a big piece of legislation that he passed with the help of Cory Booker. And I think if he was doing more of that and messaging more of that, the black community would embrace him more. But when he comes to Atlanta and John Lewis's district that he called crime infested and that John Lewis was all talk and no action, I think that reopens wounds in the black community that they would like to heal. And so I think his agenda has been very strong and the results have been very strong. If people could get past the side effects, I think they'd be a lot more inclined to go for the cure. But he's got a real problem with the black community as demonstrated by his election results so far. And I don't know that this, when he comes to Atlanta, I think we'll see a lot of the same faces that we see when he has his black events and it tends to be about the same eight or ten people. I do go to Trump rallies and I do find minority um, members there, but they are in the drastic minority and that's because of the words that he uses uh, in on Twitter specifically, but then also mm -hmm. just generally. And I think he's if he could just be one or the other, people would know what to make of him. Jim, I noticed that uh, that uh John Lewis put up a tweet this morning. He had a little video loop playing, wearing a T-shirt that was uh, too busy to hate. A very right. pointed message to the right, president. Right, and, and, and it, what's, what strikes me uh, about the president's visit is that this is the first one that I, I can remember. You know, and we've 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 been through these things since 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 Carter with motorcades coming in and yeah. coming out. I mean, Atlanta is a good ATM for campaign cash. Mm -hmm. But this is the first time that I can remember where it has really sparked a turnout in demonstrations uh, uh, at Centennial Park with for, for the for the uh, for the for the for the Trump uh, uh, pro-black rally and uh, in Buckhead uh, uh, for his for his 300 and uh, 3.5 million fundraiser yeah like you we have people at all of those places it'll be interesting we have not gotten any reports on how the crowd is gathering at Centennial Olympic well, Park uh, yeah we have uh, we don't have that but uh, the, uh, the the but you, Patricia's right. I mean, Herman Cain is among the people at the at the uh, at the World Congress Center uh, uh, for Trump. Uh, I'm sure Elvita King. Uh, look, Atlanta used to have formerly. I mean, in years gone by, 50. We're talking about 50 years ago. Atlanta had a thriving Black Republican power base. Uh, I mean, this, the Scots were were an essential part of that. As did the nation. Nikki, it does strike me that uh, the president, in fact. It, could very well be setting himself to come away looking rather foolish trying to have a, an event to attract black voters to his side on this. I mean, I think you, you make a lot of points, as does Patricia. I mean, all three of you are making points about the various aspects of Trump's presidency, but 
I, do you really imagine we're going to get much of a turnout of African Americans there today? I'm sure there will be some people there, well, but some. I don't think it's going to. I don't think it's going to equate into more black people showing up to vote yeah. for Donald Trump by yeah. him launching this initiative. It's, it's important to note that this is an like all Trump events. This is an invitation only event. Yes, these it people is. are screened. Right. And yes. and and so they're 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 uh, you're you're not going to see you're probably not going to see a whole lot of disruption there. So these uh, are people uh, that were already supporting Donald Trump before they showed up today. Yeah. And that's the idea. This is a launch. This is not necessarily a rally. This isn't a let me introduce Trump to new a new audience. This is a launch of an initiative that he has. And because of that, yeah, there are politicals that are already Republican coming from all over the country for this event. Yeah. Um, but, I have but, people but, from know, North know, Carolina, Michigan, Florida. They some of them are even bust in. You know, but yeah, yeah. This is you say this is a way for Trump to to, to introduce himself. After three years, that's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, I mean, I mean, a, a whole lot of first impressions have gone on before this rally. So it's never too late to start to do a good thing. So, all right. It's, it's never too late to start to do a good thing, but he's the president of the United States. And the fact that he's only decided to do this through his re-election campaign as an initiative to elect Donald Trump and not to bring the country together as president is very troubling. All right. Uh, Okay, we're going to watch how all of this unfolds. And by the way, if you're watching us on TV on Sunday, clearly we are recording this show uh, uh, for air on Sunday morning, even as we're on the radio uh, today, Friday, live. Patricia, let's turn to another interesting side note to this visit. Doug Collins yep. was on Air Force One flying in here with the president. He, of course, has uh, put his name in the hat to be the replacement for Johnny Isaacson, hoping that uh, Governor Kemp will appoint him to fill the seat until the special election next November. Uh, should we, do we think that the president is, and we had Don Jr. here not long ago, uh, holding Raising a money fundraiser and saying, this guy would be great advocate for us in the Senate. Uh, is, is the president, do you think, nudging Kemp in the Doug Collins direction? I don't think the president does nudge, you know. I mean, he's going to be like, just point the guy, you know. I, he does have a really strong relationship with Collins, and um, Collins would be a really strong appointment to that job. I mean, I think he is clearly qualified. Um, I think he has a more interesting profile than most Democrats probably give him credit for in terms of being a pastor and a military chaplain. Mm -hmm. um, and he's somebody, he's a lawyer, he certainly knows his way around um, the legislative process. Uh, the, the trick for Republicans, though, and we're talking about expanding, uh, expanding the profiles and putting people in front of uh, voters who don't look exactly like all the other Republicans, probably the biggest strike against Doug Collins right now is that he is not a woman or a minority or some some way to grow the profile of the Republican Party for voters. Um, but I think he uh, is certainly has to be a leading candidate for Brian Kemp because he's probably the most qualified in there right now. Uh, just as important as Doug Collins being on the same plane with the plane with 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 President Trump were the fact that the two Purdue cousins were also yeah. on Air Force One. Yeah. And you'll have to remember it was Sonny Purdue, the now Secretary Secretary of Agriculture, who was the fellow who brought Brian Kemp to Donald Trump's uh, attention last year and during the during the primary runoff. And I think I'm right that we we believe that both of them are pretty enthusiastic about Doug Collins for that seat, are we not? Don't we have uh, that sense? I haven't I haven't seen any overt signs, okay. but 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 yeah, the, the 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 talk is that that they are. All right. And uh, Patricia, I would add that, you know, 
years ago at President Trump's first inauguration, um, there was a fun, it wasn't a fundraiser, it was a minority engagement event for conservatives held in D.C. Uh, Doug Collins was the only congressman from our delegation that gave underwriting to that, that sent people to that, that sent a word of encouragement about minority voter engagement. He has a commitment. You know, we haven't built a strong enough field to have the diversity of people that we want to choose from, and that's that's candidly true. Um, but he is a guy who really understands it. All right. Uh, Nakima, uh, let's, as long as we're talking about the Senate race, you've got a really robust uh, Democratic Senate race underway for yes. the G, G uh, I'm sorry, for the David Perdue Yes. Uh, seat. Well, we're calling race number one, as opposed to that open Johnny Isaac seat, race number two. How, how are you watching uh, the uh, race unfold? It's interesting. John Ossoff this evening is having a little event at Manuel's Tavern, uh, his counter to the to the Trump uh, presence here today. Uh, Teresa Tomlinson released a very her video. funny the popcorn video, sitting watching the president getting booed. <laughs> at the World <laughs> Series with David Perdue at his side. Um, how do you see that race shaping up? I mean, I see, I we're letting our candidates run in the primary field and we're elevating them all. And I know whoever comes out of our primary field are gonna be better than David Perdue because he has shown us that he is willing to tie himself directly to Donald Trump. And I am ready to stand behind our Democratic um, nominee so that we can make sure that we send Perdue packing. Are, are you at all worried about the fact that with the except with Ossoff has, start, has raised some pretty fairly significant monies, but Tomlinson has had more trouble Amico's, you know, kind of trying to make uh, strides. Ted Terry hasn't gotten very far at all. I mean, obviously, when you get a candidate for the general, money will start coming in in bigger quantities, we imagine. But uh, does it worry you that while a David Perdue can raise so much money out there and he'll get more after this event today, the fundraiser for him, um, that your candidates have so far not shown a lot of muscle in fundraising? So... After May in the primary, we're going to come together and we're going to make sure that our candidate has the resources, the boots on the ground, and the messaging getting out there to Georgia voters so that we can elect a Democrat to the U.S. Senate. Patricia, what do you, what do you sense as you look at that race, in terms of fundraising particularly? Well, the fundraising numbers could be a lot better. They just could. It's very hard uh, with two Senate races on the horizon uh, with a number of competitive Senate seats and no incumbent in the state uh, to pull from in any kind of existing fundraising base, it's gonna be really, really tough. And that's why if you're Democrats, you'd rather see somebody with a proven fundraising advantage to be able to hold their own after the primary because they're going to have to be fundraising against a number of other Democrats yeah. nationally and locally. Um, but I do think to Chairwoman Williams' point, um, the resources are going to be there for this nominee. They could get outspent, but they're not going to get out planned and outmaneuvered on the ground. And I'm going to make sure of that. Yeah, the Democrats <laughs> nationally are going to invest money in Georgia. They just will. And so yeah. both of the Senate candidates are going to benefit from that. There's going to be, I think, a team effort that's going to support whoever it is coming up here. But none of those candidates has really broken out in a big way that you, I kind of would have expected yeah. by now. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, so we'll you're, starting, you're starting to see some something that that uh, that Stacey Abrams showed us in the 20, 2018 race, and that is the necessity of going outside of the state in order to raise Democratic money. 
uh, because because of just what you, because yeah. of what just what you're talking mm -hmm. about because because uh, the, the ground is going to be so heavily picked over by by the presidential and senatorial candidates that it's it's just going to be very very hard for 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 individuals uh, not to tap those big uh, big pots of money that are in California New York and and Chicago and elsewhere just selling Georgia as as the next next battleground yeah. state yeah which yeah. is strategically wise important that people who are in retirement as Republicans like Jeff Sessions or maybe that can go in there and, and make that well shrink even more and make the Democrats have to work harder in other states. I think we're going to see more people than Jeff Sessions talking about getting back into races. Do you, you think Jeff Sessions is going to make the Democrats wor uh, 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 work harder to hold on to that Doug Jones seat? Absolutely. Really? Okay, that's interesting. Let's do this. Let's get a break out of the way. We've got an awful lot more to discuss. Uh, but uh, first... Let's do this. We'll come back with more on Political Rewind. You know, selling a car can be a hassle, but donating it is a whole different story. Let us take it off your hands or off your driveway and turn it into public radio and maybe even a tax deduction. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the host of Marketplace, and here is how to donate. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or donate securely online at gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. Thirty years after the Berlin Wall came down, some dividing lines persist in Germany. An influx of refugees from the Middle East has bolstered anti-immigrant feelings. I was in a shop, coffee shop. One guy just told me, go back to your country and fight. We check in with a Syrian refugee living in Germany. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Four till seven today on GPB and gpbnews.org. We're back on Political Rewind. Uh, just to reset the table, we have Jim Galloway, of course, from the AJC here, uh, the chairwoman of the Georgia Democratic Party and state senator from Atlanta, Nakima Williams is with us. By the way, you know, we're all about being kind of casual in, in, on this show, and I've called you by your first name a few I'm times. Nikema. Are you okay I'm with Nikema. that? Thank you. Yes. I just want to make sure that's all right. Uh, <laughs> Patricia Murphy, who we always call Patricia that's when fine. she's here on the show, is with us. She, of course, is a syndicated columnist. I read her in Roll Call, but you can also see her in many newspapers across the country. Yeah. Um, and Leo Smith, a Republican strategist, formerly the outreach uh, coordinator for the Georgia Republican Party. Really quickly, Leo, Jim, let me... Tom Faust, during that break, said in my ear, I don't know, it sounds like Leo may be getting back on the Trump train. What did you hear, Jim? I think he's he's a, I think he's a, a little bit standoffish right now, but right back. I'm not sure that he can be brought in, brought back into that circle, but I'm I'm not sure that he wants to cut his Republican ties. Are you, Leo? There's no way that I would cut the Republican ties. I mean, the Republican Party was started as an abolitionist party. It was started for people Tax like change. me. And we can return to that. But what can the Democrat Party return to? Wait, I don't so, think we want to return to that. So, wait, so <laughs> does that mean that we already can tell that you're going to vote for President Trump for re-election? I'm not voting for a Democrat. <laughs> All right. All right. Speaking of uh, uh, voting... Jim, Patricia, I want to get your takes on this first. Um, it looks like Michael Bloomberg really is going to run for 
president. He's talking today about uh, getting on the Alabama ballot. And of course, that's because it's the first, it's the earliest today, deadline. Today is the deadline. For, yeah, Friday. Uh, but Bloomberg very well might be running as a Democrat for president. Yeah. You mentioned it briefly earlier. What, what do you think about I'm, this? I'm, I'm wondering if this is a, a, a break glass and emergency kind of candidacy. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's look. It's it's. I, I can't see him penetrating in Iowa. Uh, maybe he can do something in in, in New Hampshire. Uh, uh, I think probably where he where he probably has an advantage is on Super Tuesday when you have not just a few southern states, not Georgia, but a few other southern states and California. You've got to spend a lot of money getting your message out exactly. into those. Are there a dozen states on this Super He's Tuesday, something like that? And, and so that may be his entry. I would say, you know, look, you know, I mean, stop and frisk oh. is going to be a problem with him uh, for, for him with the, with with the African American community, uh, and yet uh, the Democrats will love. What he's done for Lucy McBath and and mm -hmm. and and other uh, gun violence uh, activists, Patricia. <laughs> Call me a skeptic on the Michael <laughs> Bloomberg. I lived in New York when he was mayor. He was a great mayor. Yeah. I mean, plowed the snow, yeah. trains ran on time. Yeah. Um, the people who love to talk about this possibility of Michael Bloomberg running are Wall Street bankers and New York reporters. And that's really his constituency right now. No one can tell me who is the Michael Bloomberg voter that's not being served by this field right now other than the people who want a guarantee the Democrats going to beat Donald Trump. And even then, I don't know how Michael Bloomberg beats Donald Trump in a way that Hillary Clinton could not. I just don't know. Um, he may or may not even play in Iowa, I'm hearing. He may not even bother to go to Iowa. And um, I just have a hard time. I've been on TV set since 2006 speculating, will he or yeah. won't he? He really wants to. Um, I believe his heart is in the issues. Uh, Democrats I talked to wish he would just put more money behind a single candidate yeah. and make his money count that way. Yeah. Um, he's got a real deficit of charisma. If you've ever sat through one of his stump speeches, it's a it's not exactly a barn burner. Um, so <laughs> I don't know how he comes in late. It's actually hard to spend a lot of money in the next three months if he doesn't already have his ads cut. Um, I see room for his ideas. I don't see room for him. While well, well, Patricia was talking, I did some very quick <laughs> Google work. Yes. And I reminded myself that I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma with Michael Bloomberg and Sam Nunn in 2007 when they were pitching the, the thought about a, 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 a presidential run by one or the other. Yeah. Yes, wow. or both. Wow. Or both. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Patricia, of course, that. used to work wow. for Senator Nutt. <laughs> uh, Nikita, you him. said earlier in this show, big tent party, you welcome all comers who want to run for the Democratic nomination. Let me ask you this. If, if Bloomberg at this point is deciding he wants to jump in, and if we've seen any number of polls that show us uh, yes, we see that Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders seem to be bunched up near the top. But we see a, a really more Democrats saying they're still completely up in the air about who they really are going to support in the long run. Does a potential Bloomberg candidacy send a signal that the Democrats haven't quite figured out who ought to be the nominee and the right person isn't there at this point? Well, I mean, Democrats haven't figured out who's going to be the nominee. That's what this primary process Absolutely. is about. But so, that there's not a candidate who people are, you know, going to rally around, that none of them are really the right person to rally around. I think right now we are talking about ideas. And 
Bloomberg spent a lot of money in Virginia to help with some of the races there, um, and with some of the, the gun violence and gun reform issues. And so right now, this is about ideas. That's what the primary process is about, getting the best ideas out there so that we know who we want to rally behind as we go through the primary process. That's what this debate season is about. We're going to hear a lot of robust discussion on the stage here in Atlanta, and we have more debates to come. So I, I'm ready to continue to listen. I don't have a chosen candidate yet, and I keep listening to all of them. Like, I watch the debates, and every night my husband thinks that I'm crazy. I'm like, oh, I'm going to send him $10. I want him on the debate stage. <laughs> and I have, like, five or six people that I keep sending my little $10 to when I hear something that they say because I want to keep the conversation going. Okay, so you're one of those people who wants more and more people on the stage instead of narrow, have, focus, I, narrowing the focus. I want to focus. hear more and more focus on issues okay. that matter to me, okay. which is why if you say something that resonates with me, I send you my little $10. So well, that I can help with your. <laughs> thank you. Then I think it's an appropriate moment to say to you, what are the issues that matter to you? What are the issues you think matter to Georgia voters in this election cycle? So I started a statewide listening tour when I first got elected as chair, and I've been across the state, um, all the, as far north north um, as when I got in the parking lot. That most of the tags were Tennessee, and down in Valdosta, where there are a lot of Florida plates. Um, and so one of the things that I hear about everywhere is around health care. Mm. And I don't know what the answer is. I know what our governor just um, is pushing here in Georgia is not the answer. But I don't know. Um, I know that we have an option for Medicaid expansion. That's what I hear across the state, no matter which part of the state I'm in. If I'm in Atlanta, if I'm down in LaGrange, in Valdosta, in Swainsboro, in um, Whitfield County, all across the state, I keep hearing about health care. That is the number one issue across the board. And the question is, what kind of health care? That is the question. A, a That's why we're having this conversation. as Because the candidates don't even have the same um, proposals around health care. So we're having this discussion. We just happen to be having the discussion in front of millions and millions of Americans to hear us think out loud. So, You know, Chairman... Chairwoman, the, the prototype has already been done. Donald Trump had to compete with several Republican candidates. And what he did was something that, interestingly, actually unified Republicans around an idea, although he his rhetoric is all, all most people consider quite somewhat divisive. But Donald Trump really right now is offering the only unifying idea, America first. And Democrats really haven't presented anything that really unifies people and, and, and sort of gives people something to rally Leo, around. Health, you're saying wait, Donald Trump is unifying health, people? Well, no, no, that concept was something that okay, people that worked to be clear as on a that. concept. Because not everybody is unified on the idea of what we need to do with health care. So, I'm, you know, the challenge for Democrats is coming up with something, some candidate coming up with something so that grabs you, everybody. You, I, Patricia, I know you want to jump in. I, I'm going to just quickly say <laughs> America First is a slogan I'm not sure how you what you think about it as an idea. I mean, I'm not sure what it means, but Patricia, go ahead. Uh, well, I think that Donald Trump has a slogan. I think Democrats, in a lot of ways, it doesn't matter what their slogan is as long it is it meets the lowest bar possible for mm. some voters. That is an alternative to Donald Trump. And I think the danger they to get into for Democrats is that a lot of the ideas that Democratic candidates are putting forth are seen as such a big change, such an unknown, such a radical change from where we ever thought we would be 
um, and some policy areas, including health care, including Medicare for all, that's where d Democrats get into danger. If Democrats can present a safe harbor away from Donald Trump, I think Democrats win the election. The, the election is not really going to be about Democrats' ideas. It's going to be, can you give us somebody else to vote for for the next three and, years and, look, and get, and look, out, get and out of I this I think this is, this, this, is, this is a lane that, that uh, Michael Bloomberg can drive in, yes. which is mm -hmm. competence. Yes, yeah. because I think that's that's the low bar that you're talking about. Yes. Did he look at did he look at Bashir in Kentucky? Did Bloomberg look at Bashir and go, okay, that's not a popular Republican governor. I can be the guy who can come in Matt Bevin, and do that. Matt Bevin. Matt Bevin, right? Mm -hmm. Matt Bevin wasn't popular. So did Michael Bloomberg say, if I run as a centrist person, will I find favor? in the same way that happened in Kentucky. I think I think Michael Bloomberg would like to see a stronger version of Joe Biden right yeah. now. And Joe Biden just isn't delivering on the debate stage the way a lot of moderates are hoping that he will. He's just not, it's also never really been his venue to be giving these big barn burner speeches and to really be, you know, knocking out punches on the debate stage. That's never really been his strength, but I think moderates want to see somebody they know is gonna win I don't know if they're going to get that guarantee, and I think that's where Michael Bloomberg comes So before in. we go to our final break, um, uh, uh, Nikima, you, you talked about health care being the big issue, and I want to relate that to the column that uh, Galloway has in the Sunday paper, but which is online right now. Uh, Jim, to make it, it's just to say it in its simplest terms, uh, you compare the Kemp uh, Medicaid waiver plan, the, the waivers that he's looking for, which will only be a partial expansion of Medicaid to some 50,000 right. of the 400 plus thousand. And you compare that to what happened in the Kentucky governor's race, where Bashir's beat Matt Bevin, perhaps in part because it was Bevin who tried to undo Medicaid yeah. expansion. Yeah, basically, basically, Brian Kemp is issuing this, the, the, the massive uh, expansion of Medi Medicaid to cover some 408,000 maybe half a million of uninsured Georgians. What he is doing it is it is he's putting more emphasis on helping people who already have health yeah. insurance yeah. to keep their health insurance. And then he's opening a window, a slight window, a 50,000 person window uh, of Medicaid expansion. Uh, more money is being put being put into the effort to, to help people keep their ins the, the insurance they already have. So, so Nakima, what, one of the points, of course, is that, uh, may, you, you know, your candidates in 2020, I mean, it's not until 2022 that Brian Kemp will face the voters over how he handled health care here. But in 2020, Republicans will, in fact, have to deal with how the state is approaching Medicaid expansion. And I think what Galloway is suggesting is that if George is anything like Kentucky, uh, voters might not be particularly happy with Republicans over I mean, the issue of eliminating expansion. I mean, we're spending more money to cover fewer people. Medicaid expansion would would go ahead cover 400,000 Georgians who lack ac access to health care, and we're spending more money when we are already having budget cuts across the state. But so you would think that we would be a little more mindful of how we're spending our funds and um, how we are making sure that we cover people all across the state. This is an issue that affects people in rural Georgia and metro Atlanta. No matter where you go, there are people that will be covered in this 400,000 Georgians. Leo, well, you get the last word before we take our break. Well, I think it's a good thing that we have the um, job economy that we have because the more people have jobs, the more they can have insurance. Do you think a job should be a prerequisite for having insurance, as Governor Kemp now suggests with the Medicaid expansion? 
I think that is, is nuanced. I mean, you know, we cannot solve all needs with every budget. And I think that, you know, it would be nice if all children, especially, and we do do that in Georgia, um, have health care. And I think we do a good job of that. Okay, let's do this. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way. We'll be back with more on Political Rewind. My name is Lauren Lynn, and I'm the Associate Director of Marketing for Georgia Farm Bureau. Georgia Farm Bureau is the voice of Georgia farmers, and we work earnestly to support the state's leading industry, agriculture. We underwrite with GPB. What I like about the programming is that it reaches a diverse audience, and it enables individuals or organizations the opportunity to share their messaging across the state. To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. Lactose or sucrose, cow's milk or soy? These are the questions parents are asking about their baby formula. I'm Ira Flato. This week on Science Friday, a look at the ingredients in infant formula and what science says about them, plus why European formula brands have become so popular with parents. All on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Join us for Science Friday this afternoon at 3 on GPB. I've already mentioned it once. Uh, if you're listening on the radio, you're hearing us live right now. If you're watching us on Sunday morning, we're recording the show on Friday afternoon. And a very, very quick note that if it is Friday and you're listening on the radio, uh, I'm going to be talking to Preet Bharara, the uh, former Southern District of New York U.S. attorney fired by President Trump back in 2017 when he wasn't willing to even take phone calls from the president, worried about how the president might be trying to manipulate him in a general way. We're going to be at the Atlanta Jewish Book Festival tomorrow night at 8 p.m. I just checked with them. They've still got a few tickets left. If you feel like coming up there, you can go to the Atlanta Jewish Book Festival website and get more information. It really should be an interesting conversation. Nakima Williams, uh, the Democratic Party of Georgia has now filed a lawsuit yes. um, on absentee ballots. Mm -hmm. Your concerns being that absentee ballots are being unfairly and inequitably thrown out. Tell us about the suit. So there's no standards right now of how people are notified when their absentee ballots are rejected. And if you're going to reject someone's absentee ballot, they, there should be some standards across the board on how people are notified so that they know that they can follow up and they can cure the problem or that they can vote regularly. Or, But right now, there's we have 159 counties and 159 ways to do things. And this, if there is one person that is disenfranchised by a lack of standards, enforceable standards, then we need to do something about it. And the Democratic Party of Georgia, under my watch, will be the party for democracy. And, the, and this lawsuit would, would, would asks that uh, all election officials uh, notify a voter within the very the same day that their their signatures are challenged. Yes. Um, if your ballot is rejected, mm -hmm. you should receive a notification that day. So, Jim, we do want to point out, I think, that the last session, that the, that particularly Democrats in the Stacey Abrams organization uh, during the last election cycle uh, pointed out any number of concerns about voter mm -hmm. uh, integrity. And the legislature did act on some of them. Right. We there have were, had some reform. Right, right. Last year, there were something like, I think, 8,000 uh, absentee ballots uh, rejected statewide. A lot of them, in fact, a good number of them, came 
came from Gwinnett, mm -hmm. uh, yes. where which is a very contentious uh, uh, county right now. So so it's it's uh, a lot, and a lot of it was based on oh, the, this signature that you gave us uh, five years ago doesn't look like the signature that you're penning down today. Uh, and and that uh, that that comes down to a single individual's judgment, which is and it has tricky. a large impact, a disproportionate impact on Black voters. Um, Forty-nine percent of the absentee ballots that were cast in Gwinnett County last year were Black or Hispanic voters. Well, I guess one of the reasons I mentioned the legislation that did pass last year is, in addition to filing a federal lawsuit, whether you would anticipate that we'll see uh, legislation introduced in this upcoming session to remedy the problem you're talking about, too. I welcome it. I will pre-file it, um, and I welcome <laughs> my Republican colleagues to sign on with me and to make sure that everybody's vote is protected. I, it's not just about Democrats. I, I would not be surprised to see uh, Republicans try to tighten the uh, uh, requirements for absentee ballots. Uh, if you'll recall, recall during the, the the voter ID days of, of 2007 and, and beyond, you know, uh, uh, it was all about in-person voting. The one area they left out was absentee voting because that's what Republicans relied on mm -hmm. in elections. Well, uh, with 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 the Abrams campaign, that changed. You know, it, there was a heavy Democratic emphasis on absentee ballots. Um, you know, the legislator needs to address all these issues, and it's good to hear that you know, pre-filing will occur because it needs to be robustly debated. And we have a secretary of state and, and Brad Raffensperger that I think wants to make sure that Georgia feels gung-ho about voter access, about voter integrity, and voter security. So I think this is an opportunity for Georgia to lead again, and I think you've got a secretary of state that will support that. And, and I, you know, full disclosure, my company, Engage Future and uh, EFG Strategies, is advising um, Brad Raffensperger on some voting issues. Got some branding well, in there. Maybe you can put in a good word <laughs> to make sure that we tighten up our standards for democracy. Hey, Patricia, before we leave, I, I want to um, go to one of the columns that you wrote, uh, one of your uh, uh, syndicated columns recently, because we are heading into a week where we're going to see the first public hearings on impeachment on, on Wednesday and Friday coming up. You wrote a column, the headline of which is, Impeachment is already a gold mine. Shut down fundraising until it's over. It really resonated with me. And because we actually, we talked about this on the show the other day, doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Everybody's fundraising on impeachment. You think it's wrong. People aren't just fundraising during impeachment. I mean, they are fundraising on impeachment. And the people who are most successful at fundraising on impeachment are the highest profile members on both all of these committees. And so when you go through all the public disclosures, what I noticed, because I like to casually go through FEC disclosure <laughs> reports, all of those names would be familiar to anybody who watches cable news because it was... Jim Jordan, Adam Schiff, um, a number of the members of the House Judiciary Committee, House Intelligence Committee, um, Lindsey Graham, and the most especially of all is President Trump raised tens of millions of dollars during the impeachments or the pre-impeachment proceedings. And my thought is that um, the correlation there is that there really is no... Uh, incentive right now for members of Congress who I would hope, and I think most people would hope, be, would be approaching impeachment judiciously and impartially, there's a huge incentive to get on TV, get attention, and raise some money off of the impeachment trial. Uh, you, so, go ahead. I'm sorry, you name, uh, in addition to the ones you said, uh, Devin Nunes, we're not surprised by that, Raja Krishnamurthy of mm -hmm. Illinois, Eric uh, Swalwell, uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 
both sides. Yeah, both yeah. sides. Yeah, and it, it uh, I think it's particularly troubling when you come to the senators who are going to be acting as literally as literal jurors in an impeachment trial. Um, the president, including with Senator Perdue, has launched a number of these joint fundraising committees where he's going to be raising money for senators who are up in 2020. And to me, that creates just a very uncomfortable conflict of interest. People are going to have to be voting on the president's fate, and he has just raised... Senator Perdue, and we'll do this for others, $3.5 million in one day. It just creates a situation that's not necessary. And when you look to a number of legislatures around the state, 29 legislatures around the country, rather, uh, forbid fundraising during the legislative process while the legislature's in session to just take away that incentive for action based on money. Yeah. And I'd like to see it. It's very naive and never going to happen, but that's my, <laughs> <laughs> that's what that column was what, for. What do you think? I mean, look, let, let's face it, uh, one of the responsibilities you have is to uh, make sure the Georgia Democrats have enough money to uh, fuel their campaigns. Uh, but what do you think about what Patricia's uh, saying about up there in Washington in terms of uh, fundraising around impeachment? I, I, I want to read the column because I, I think that this impeachment process is so much bigger than just a political party because this is the foundation of our democracy. The, the offenses that the president is being accused of, they're serious. And we need to have some, we need to be able to look at this um, impartially, regardless of your partisan politics. And I know that that's not going to happen, and that's naive of me to think that it could be done um, without looking at it through a partisan lens. But this is so much bigger. This is the... The foundation of our democracy is at stake here. Jim, it's, it's, we're, but we're heading into what will be the most deeply partisan uh, it, proceedings that and we it have is, seen. It is, it is not a criminal trial. It is a political trial. Yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, I think Patricia's right. I mean, can you truly look at David Perdue and say, well, the president just raised you $3.5 right. million. Can you, uh, uh, how are you going to How vote? can you be a juror? How are you Where vote? are you on? Where are you on? In a large way, you know, this is sort of an over, it's a huge example of the problem that we've had for a long time with politicians using things that, you know, engender fear that, that to, to raise money off of it. And Lucy Macbeth, I've got a letter from her asking to help her fund impeachment. I mean, so it's happening all over the place. It's an issue, but that's an issue of, you know, what Americans will tolerate. Right. We need to discuss it. I got to call, call a halt. We're out of time for this conversation. Jim Galloway, you know, it's great having you here. I'll see you again on Monday at 2 o'clock oh, for yeah. another Political Rewind. Patricia Murphy, thank you, thank uh, you. for being with us. I look forward to seeing your, what is your next column? My next column is about Rudy Giuliani um, and with a friend like Rudy Giuliani, who needs the U.S. Senate? <laughs> All right. And uh, Chairwoman Nakima Williams, thank you so much. It's, we've, your schedule is so busy, but we're so happy you were able thank to find you. time to be Glad with to us be today and have fun at the debate next uh, Wednesday night. Leo Smith, Time to get back on your scooter. You win the award for uh, getting here with the most ingenuity. We appreciate it. And thank you all for being here for Political Rewind. See you Monday at 2. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.